right, Sarah, it sounds like you won our informal Instagram poll. Well, I had to do something after you totally poo-pooed my idea about writing a weekly column called Tales from My Box. I had to go take to Instagram to get my people to back me. And so I believe it was 86 or 87%. Of your friends said you should write a column. It was 57 people. That has nothing to do with your box or any boxes. It has everything to do with my... Everything has to do with my box, Kelly. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. Okay. Kelly's argument is, for those who don't know what we're talking about, I'm thinking of starting a weekly column called Tales from My Box that would be like loosely related to my experiences at CrossFit. (laughs) Typically, when we do Tales from My Box on the podcast, it's about... It's either about vagina news or... CrossFit. Or sometimes both. Yeah. Sometimes both. Often both. Both is the best. But you want to write a column that lures people in with lurid promises and then cannot deliver. It's not even going to be about any kind Here's of what it's going to be about, be about. It's going to be about the experience of being an athlete as a woman. Because <laughs> my box comes with me everywhere, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and, and I hear you have already started your first column and right. you started training again. So you just have so many topics so many to tales. talk about. So many tales happening. Okay. I just want to make one more point there is that if we were riding is not about cycling every week, right? It's about what we would talk about it's if about we were we riding. what we would talk about. Yeah, but that's clear. Right. It's but what tales we talk from my about. box is about, is the tales from my world. From your bot. Yeah, Sarah, I don't know. It's a reach. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> we can move off that point. We can move off that point. Okay. <laughs> I did. This week, I started training again, and I'm a little bit tired. So if I'm not connecting words again on the podcast, that is why. Um, I had, I spent three hours at CrossFit yesterday. Do lift Like, do you just lift weights for three hours? This is like one of my friends was telling me her boss literally couldn't understand how like what do you well, what do you mean you're riding your bike for five hours like you you go and you stop somewhere and he like couldn't figure out that she was literally pedaling for five hours right so right now i'm picturing you literally picking up and setting down weights for three hours well there's a lot of i'm, I'm a chatter so there's a lot of chatting but yeah there's like well because sometimes you know like we did for example we did five sets of five back squats right so there's a lot of time and space in between setting up the rack doing five, taking a rest, doing another five. And then you might do like a mini workout with, I think we did handstand push-ups, ring dips, and uh, a drill to learn ring muscle-ups. And then we did that a few times, take a little break, set up the next thing like that. Wow. It was so you spent three hours hanging out is what I'm hearing. And hanging you're exhausted out from at this. my box. <laughs> I am totally exhausted. I woke up this morning and the first thing that I felt was my ass. It was like, oh my God, I did something yesterday. So I'm in training again check oh and and i wrote i did a draft of the first column for tales from my box so okay there we go all right coming up on the show another theory on why north american 70.3 races are so competitive supplements and doping control how worried should we be about what we're taking a voicemail from our favorite mom and is it better to pace safely or to blow up 
Kelly, I finally got my shipment of noon up here in Canada, and I am so excited. The last couple days, I've been going to CrossFit with Noon Hydration Sport watermelon flavor, and I have been loving it so far. But I want to know from you, what product should I try next? Okay, so you're trying the tablet. So the Sport tablet is the one you drop in your water bottle. They also have an immunity tablet for you know when you're feeling sick that you can drop in your water bottle. And I've been trying the, or been using the Noon Rest which is for recovery and relaxation. It's like chamomile flavored. It has magnesium and potassium in it. Uh, you like drink it before you go to bed. Helps you recover well. You sleep great. It's fantastic. Okay, awesome. I'm totally going to try that tonight. Okay, if anyone at home wants to try, go to noonlife.com and use the code IRONWOMEN and you get 30% off. So Iron Women is our sister podcast. Noonlife, N-U-U-N, life.com. Give it a try. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker, Inc. Ass Kicker makes activewear for women featuring empowering phrases like work hard, play hard, kick ass, or strong women lift each other up. Ass Kicker, Inc. also makes our fabulous Live Feisty tank tops, t-shirts, hoodies, and leggings. So to order yours, go to livefeisty.com and just choose shop from the menu. And of course, use the code RIDING to save 20%. That's riding, as in if we were, at livefeisty.com. And remember, I before E, except if you're feisty. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisty's If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the time. Kelly, you're coming, let's see, next weekend here to Victoria to race a 70.3. And like we talked about last week, there's a super competitive field descending upon Victoria. Or at least signed up. We don't know who's going to actually start. There's a super competitive field signed up for Victoria. True. So I understand that some of our listeners had some feedback about why it's so competitive. So we talked last week about why there have been more and more really deep, really competitive 70.3s, largely in North America, though some in Europe too. And our theory was kind of, you know, the point system changed. There are no points anymore. Prize money is being gutted. Like there's no reason to, I mean, there are many reasons to go to Monterey, Mexico, but there's no actual incentive for a pro to make a big trip somewhere to, ch- there's, to chase points, which don't exist anymore, or to chase non-existent prize money, et cetera. And so instead, our theory was people are just like, fuck it. I'll do the one close to home. I'll do it with my friends. Why not? Right. And I still think that's true to a degree, but a lot of people had other theories, Sarah, many other theories. Okay. I'd like to hear some of them. What were the other theories? Uh, Well, there was a theory that it's just easier to be a pro in North America, which I think is slightly true. Possible. That is true. Oh, I know in Australia, it's super hard to get a pro card. For example, I think there's some European countries that make it like weirdly hard. Like you basically have to be, Lucy Charles. No, I'm kidding. But it's like, it's weirdly hard, which I actually think is kind of stupid on a side point. I don't think that's like a problem in the sport that we need to make it harder for people to be pros. Right. Uh, another theory was that there are some really, really soft races too, that there's just too many races. Obviously, that's kind of also true. We've talked about that. But one of the theories that I thought was most interesting was what if it has to do with the fact that there are finally, there are equal slots? Like, seven, like we've been saying, 
give us equal slots and people will rise up, step up to the competition. And 70.3s actually have equal slots, women and men now. So maybe that's why the 70.3s are more competitive. Maybe. Interesting. So it's kind, so kind of the theory is that if you create opportunity, the people will come. Right. And, that, and that's what we're seeing happen. And I think it's actually like, even if you want to, even if that is true, I think it's like a combination of things, right? Like there are equal slots around the world, but not all the races around the world are equally competitive and deep right now. It's largely North America and to a degree Europe. And so I think the reason for, so my like extending this person's comment, conceding that, I think what we have to say is there are more pros, particularly female pros in North America, right? And that has to do with like a long history of access and resources, Title IX, et cetera. There's also like, so then you actually, when you've given access and opportunity, you have people who are like able to, you know, ready and able to like tap into, you know, a goal, somewhat like being called upon. Because girls have had typically more access and resources to sport in general in the North American context. Therefore you have more now women who are in a position to step up to the pro ranks in a sport like triathlon. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Thank you. Uh So, so then you have this like, like a squad, this group, this pool, pool of talent, talent, a pool of talent that has had years, decades of resources. And then you give them a lot, like a reason, right? Then you give them like these equal slots at 70.3 bases, an opportunity to chase, you know, a world championship spot. And you have suddenly this huge deep pool that also has something to shoot for, right? Like you can't just throw equal slots everywhere and not give access and opportunity and resources. That's not going to work. Does that make sense? But I think it's the combination that maybe is playing out in North America. I think that maybe is what's happening. Obviously there's still also people are, are doing fewer Ironmans because they don't have to chase points. So then they're doing more 70.3s. Prize. There's all the other things we've talked about, but maybe it also has to do with a combination of access opportunity and, you know, a goal, uh, a thing to chase. Yeah. I certainly would love that to be the case. For those who don't know, there's, is it 85? There's 85 70.3 races. In no, which there's 85 slots. It's like 75 races, but yeah, oh, basically. Okay. Because some of the, some of the races have more than one slot, but basically all the slots, like basically the men and women have the same number of slots and most races is one. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, if it's certainly, if that's, if that's not part of what's happening this year, it may or may not be, but if that it's certainly going to be a factor in the future, like right. opportunity will, I mean, because also cause 70.3 worlds has over time been becoming more and more what's the word like legitimate. It's a bigger deal than it used to yeah. be for sure. Yeah. And I think that's process is still, happening right so as it continues to legitimate itself as a real world championship more people will step up and that opportunity will mean more as well right i do think um and i've said this to you and i said this to a few other people because i have been like kind of trying to get a 70.3 world championship spot and it is clear that this is the first year of this new system and people aren't used to it yet it's not it's not working exactly the way everyone thought it would and I've been at the races, I've watched the roll downs, I've been paying more attention than probably a lot of people have. And what I'm seeing is just that, you know, it's, it's probably going to take a year for everyone to be like, oh, wait, shit, this is how this works now. And so, yeah, I think in the, in the next few years, we'll see more of that having an impact, more of those slots having an impact on people's race choices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so good theory, I mean, whoever that was. It's a good theory. good theory. I think it's probably like in all things multifaceted, Sarah, and complex. Of course. Of of course. course. Yes. And I think obviously it comes down to like, we talk about everything, any individual makes their choices for, you know, a number of reasons. And that's like one of the things that plays into it. And you can't just change one of those things and change 
all the decisions. You have to change like multiple things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's something to consider, guys, people, folks. Folks, thank folks. you. Yes. <laughs> That's a personal win for me. <laughs> okay. There was some other news this week, though, too. There was. You had some good thoughts about supplements. Well, so, yeah. So the other thing kind of making the rounds this week, you know, that I was getting text messages about, do you get these kinds of text messages? Do people like email you when there's triathlon news? I only get the same ones that you're CC'd on. Oh, well, I get extra ones, separate ones. And I just count on you to respond as well. Solid. (laughs) So I, so there was a lot of text messages going on this week about another case of a female triathlete getting a doping ban for Ostrin, which is a performance enhancing drug. Well, the short version is it's like a fancier version of testosterone is my understanding. But the, the understanding in this case was that it was from a contaminated supplement. The inference is from a like salt pills, salt tab situation. This is the fifth case in triathlon of Austrian contaminated supplements. There's been like four or five in ultimate fighting as well. And Obviously, some of these people could be lying. Like, I'm conceding we don't know who's telling the truth and who's not. But even the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency or Association, I never know what the second A stands for. Well, I don't know. I, thought, I always thought it was agency, but that's because I think when we think doping control, we think agency. agency. So but USADA, <laughs> whatever the second A stands for. <laughs> even USADA, though, is like, no, we're having an issue with contamination in supplements. And that's, you can, that's usually evident in the fact when they reduce a ban to six months and they say it was because of accidental contamination. They're kind of conceding that like this is an issue. So if we concede that we know contamination is an issue... In supplements, and supplements doesn't just mean like super sketchy shit you buy at GNC. It it can mean drink powder. It can mean uh, salt pills. It can mean like a lot of things that you like can just buy over the that are just normal things um, are not FDA regulated in the U.S. Except like just not even having anything to do with sports or doping. Like they're just not FDA regulated. And so if we can see that there is a contamination problem to some degree, we don't know how big a degree that is at this point. My argument and my point has been that the paranoia and speculation is starting to run rampant in triathlon, right? Like that's all the text messages and messages and Twitter and Instagram things I was getting this week are is people are like, what can you even trust anymore? It could be any of us. How do you know? Like it like, yeah, you understand what I'm saying here. And people are, mm-hmm. uh, it's running out. Of, it's running amok. <laughs> speculation <laughs> is running amok. And so I feel like at this point, unofficial like i get that the individuals in these circumstances have said they cannot say the specific company because of like ongoing legal action kind of seems like usada or usa triathlon or ironman's anti-doping needs to say something like needs to be like here's what's happening like we are aware of contamination issues stemming from these raw ingredients in these plants I mean, plants um, like factories, sorry, and that that is causing issues. And here are your options, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I think the second thing we're going to talk about in a second are like tips and options. Because unless someone says something clearly, it just start it just feels very cloaked in mystery and sketchy, like sketchier than it needs to be. The anti-doping system is actually not as arbitrary and capricious as everyone on Twitter is starting to feel like it is, you know? Right. I agree with you that organizations like federations and Ironman stepping up and taking a leadership role right now would be, would be a good thing. Uh, I think on the flip side, are there not, and this I might be moving to tips now, right. but um, there are certain companies that have their 
basically their stuff tested, their products batch tested to make sure that they're clean. You can buy products that are certified clean. And then also, at least in Canada, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, or tell me if it's different in the US, that company will also like also pledges to help you if something happens on the other end. Like if it's proven wrong, they're like, they're also on the hook because they certify their product as being batch tested. So one of the interesting things that like happened this week, and I don't think it was prompted by the triathlon case because triathlon is like a small sport in comparison to other cases or other sports, but USADA did actually announce that they're teaming up with NSF certified for sport, which is one of the, Cert, like it's the highest level. I, there's a couple companies. There's, there's couple like safe sports. Certifications. Yeah, yeah. There's like clean sport, safe sport. I don't remember, but NSF certified for sport. USADA is teaming up with them to say that basically anything that has been certified by them, USADA is officially considering low risk. And if somehow you get a positive from a contamination of a supplement that was certified by NSF, they will wave it like you will be you have full immunity does that make sense so they're basically yes. saying you should only be taking supplements on this list if you're going to take a supplement because you saw has always had a list of high risk supplements but it's a little you have to have a lot like i had to create a login to get to it it was even down the other day probably because all of slow twitch was bombarding <laughs> the servers and it doesn't say which one is related to which you have to kind of like scour the list to figure out which company is which company makes what products? Right. And like, like which one is the problem in this most specific recent case? Like you have to kind of keep an eye on like what change. It's hard to tell. Right. So this new, as opposed to having a high risk list, this new thing they're announcing a low risk list. Mm-hmm. It's like a good idea. I mean, it's basically conceding that they do have a contamination problem, like that this is an issue. This isn't, this is a real problem. And that, um, they need to do something to like address this real problem. Yeah. The thing I like about the idea of a low risk list is that it kind of feels more like everybody working together towards clean sport. Right. Right. So the companies, the federations, everybody is going to be on board trying to create supplements that athletes can take to, to make, to help maintain their health because they train really hard and should have these kind of supplements and still be able to race clean because that is, that is important to a lot of people. So those people should have options. So I, I definitely prefer that approach to like, pointing at the bad guys all the time i would also like to i also would like to know who's the bad guy. i mean it's like been driving me nuts for however many years this has been going on now three or four that we, no one will say like which company it actually because everyone says oh there's ongoing legal action oh because of legal issues i was even on slow twitch sarah and mm-hmm. the guy who runs slow twitch was taking down people's posts who were naming companies because really? he was like, i don't want to open myself up to libel and I was like, uh, I don't know if that's how libel works, to be clear. Otherwise, there'd be like Reddit would have a fucking problem and it doesn't. But like, True. it was just it was just to me, that was exactly like I really it just is driving me a little nuts that there is no naming of a company. Like, why are we being so secretive? Why are we acting like this is so yeah. such a big deal? Like, that's so true. secret. When we've talked about doping before, that's one thing that I think we've both agreed on that the more transparency, the better. Exactly. I feel like this, all of this, the way we are acting about this and talking about it makes it seem even sketchier, right? It makes mm-hmm. it seem even more, I don't know what the word, dark and mysterious and, and not like just a system that like, this is how it works. This is, you know, yeah. what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, though, for athletes out there, only take the supplements that are certified. 
apparently Correct. on this on SF list, FYI. And, and triathletes, you should go and look at it because FYI, drink powders, which I am conceding that I use drink powders that I have not checked are certified. So, But even drink powders are technically supplements and you should make sure that they are being certified and tested. So. Yeah, and our sponsor, Noon. Mm-hmm. As is certified by one of those organizations. Oh, good. See, I didn't even know that. I was just assuming it was fine, which is and terrible. I should like I should have come into this more prepared <laughs> <laughs> and known and have it right in front of me. But I did. I do. I did check that actually before we accepted the sponsorship. So because these things are important, and also the other thing is like Canadian companies. Oh right? yeah, so we Canadian, should all just go with Canadian companies. Just go with Canadian companies to okay. support the Canadian economy. We don't have the same. Our FDA regulations are slightly more stringent and so it's uh you're more likely to get a clean product out of Canada. You guys also straight up like banned melatonin over the counter for years, which I think I is know. weird. So yeah, yeah you guys we are definitely nuts. go too yeah. far sometimes. Yeah. In the name of keeping people safe and healthy. But <laughs> Okay, Kelly, your mom, we finally heard from her again. <laughs> Good. Well hey there girls, ladies, everyone. I was thinking about what Sarah said about the pros and the lack of support for them and whether or not, you know, that's just going to decline and then eventually bounce back or will it, the support for pros completely die out and have to be reinvigorated. And I got this picture in my head of like zombie pros coming back from the dead. I do actually blame this lack of support for pros on this kind of cultural lack of support for experts. Kelly's heard me go on about this before, but I think our culture has lost its belief in the notion of people being experts at something. It's as if anybody who has an idea is somehow like just as valid as anyone who has spent their entire life getting good at something. I blame group work in school. There's an entire generation who grew up thinking If they and their friends figured it out, then that was good enough, as if a room full of 15-year-olds could somehow come up with a reasonable analysis of the motif of decay in Hamlet and what it says about the human nature of grief, group work. I want a good expert. Okay, so I told my mom uh, after listening to this that I felt like it was a a little more about her and like what she was going through with her class that she's teaching than it was about you know triathlon maybe but her point is well taken (laughs) (laughs) to to be fair i mean it just goes to show it affects all people that that um the fact that i i think she's right that culturally we've gone down a road of like all opinions are made the same and all opinions are not made the same if you're the world's leading expert on what was your mom's Something to do with Hamlet, Hamlet, like <laughs> motifs, right? On Hamlet motifs. <laughs> then your opinion on that counts more. Like if you spent a lifetime studying that, then sure, have a have an opinion that's worth more than mine, a hundred percent. And so, likewise with um, likewise with with anything. I honestly, this creation of experts. You know who I blame? The media. Not kidding. I actually hate when people blame the media. Kind of, <laughs> kind of. You're gonna hate this one too. Twitter. Okay. It's Twitter's no, fault. No, it was before that. It comes from like back when we were kids and like the way we grew up, like learning, it was the whole like there is no dumb question, like question authority. Like it comes from mm-hmm. like the framing. And then that framing was all fine when we were kids. And it was like always question authority, like where things come from. But it didn't prepare people appropriately for like the internet age. And people's like framework is not 
up to date with the amount of information now that is available on the internet. Like basically, yeah, basically people are not, I'm like gesturing and you can't see on the, on the podcast. People are not like their logical framework and mental framework has not caught up with the amount of information available. And that logical framework was set up in like the eighties and nineties through an education system that was all about like Socratic method and all questions and yeah. Interesting. So my, my observation about Twitter, like Twitter just helped keep the wheel spinning. Right. Right. It's pretty much all in it. Like I, when I was on slow Twitch the other day, God, I like got for a totally separate thing. I like went down this thing of somebody going off about like the New York times and how all their science reporting is terrible. And then they were like, well, see, and they cited, like they had a bunch of citation, right. About how the New York times is terrible and they don't believe anything they say anymore. And then I like, I'm like that the citations they have were sort of weird. It sounded like an official organization. And I was like, that's weird. So then I did a little Googling and it took very little Googling to find out that this official sounding organization was actually backed by like oil and tobacco money and was paid to come up with stuff saying how science, the science reporting was against the, and you're like, God, and so this would be an example of somebody being like, well, I can do my own research. I figured it out. But their, their analysis is not caught up to like modern right. SEO, you know? Right. So there you go. Slow twitch is to blame for everything. <laughs> okay. Um, coming up after the break, we're going to talk about pacing in races and whether it's best to uh, perhaps blow up or to play it a little bit safer. We would like to thank Noon Hydration for supporting the podcast. Get 30% off your order by using the code IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. That's IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. And don't forget to order your feisty gear at livefeisty.com with the code RIDING to get a 20% discount. Follow at If We Were Riding on all the social medias and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, tell your actual friends in person how awesome we are, because that works too. If We Were Riding is a Live Feisty Media production and is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our marvelous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, none of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race to the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real, and I'm feeling so ruthless. All right, Sarah, so I historically have been a, uh, a blower-upper, like massive. Like, I've done it many times because sometimes you're like, hey, fuck it. I just want to see what's going to happen. So this week I was reading someone's essay in defense of the blow-up, and I, like, appreciate it because her whole point was that you know your your goal isn't to go out and negative split and like accurately hit every single mile your goal is to see what you can do right and that means it means it might get ugly but i kind of took issue with like taking that to an extreme the argument that negative splitting inherently means you were too safe then right that if you run a steady raise if you don't blow up then you've essentially from the very first step like you decided to play it safe I don't feel like those are the only two options, right? I don't feel like either you play it safe or you just like implode. Totally. And there's, I also think there's a time and a place for everything. Right? Well, there you go. So let's say you're doing like, if you're doing six intervals, right? You're, I mean, you're best off, you're best. If you, if you basically ex- explode or implode, however you want to describe it <laughs> on the last interval, you've probably nailed that workout. Right. If you, if you, 
blow up on the first or second interval, you've totally screwed up your workout and you're not getting it done properly. But here's the sound like, so I often, I'm like notorious for like Alyssa who does, and I were even laughing one time, we were like doing 200s at training camp and it was like, oh, haha, we have to do a bunch of these. So don't go out on like 36 on the first one. And I totally went out on 36 on the first, right? Like that's what I do. I like go out too hard on the first one. But what I found, so my point here is though, Many, many times I've gone way too hard at the beginning and been like, holy shit, this is going to be a disaster. And then I just hang on to it, right? Like barely hang on Mm. to it. So it's not like, oh, I was playing it safe. Like every step of the way you think like this isn't, this isn't going to last. Like this is, this is the last one I'm going to be able to pull off. Yeah. I was having this conversation with someone just the other day, something similar about how sometimes in training coaches, especially I've seen swim coaches do this, will only put part of the workout onto the board. Oh yeah. Because our internal uh, moderator for pace is almost too good. So sometimes if you see, like if you see the whole mm-hmm. workout on the board, you will pace yourself almost too much. So you put on, you know, like if the first set is like six 100s, right? Then right. You, that would never be the first set. But anyway, the first <laughs> set was six 100s. Then you just pace yourself for six 100s, right? And then you see the second set and the third set. You don't actually know what's coming and that you'll actually, with some athletes, get more out of them because they won't pace themselves as much. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the whole, there's like a whole science of mental training. There's a fancy term for that, that I'm losing a school of thought about the, there's a name for it, but there's like a model that says fundamentally our brain never let like controls every other aspect. Does that make sense? And so we like our brain will always make sure that we don't die. It's like the natural inhibited. Thank you. I was like, there's this inhibitor model or there's like a word has a fancy term, but it essentially says that you can never like, no matter whatever your body is doing, like even when you're, it feels like your legs are failing you. It's really just your brain being like, Hey legs, we got to slow down so we don't die. And that there's a reason then essentially when you realize, when you see the finish line, when your brain realizes you will not die and you are that you are then able to pick it up. Right. And it's because your brain is like, we're not going to die. We can make it. Right. A hundred percent. The other thing I want to say about racing in particular with people who blow up, like how many athletes have I seen over my 20 years in this sport who start out being the athlete who, especially an Ironman who swim and bike really fast. And then they blow up at the beginning of the marathon and then they blow up at 10 K and then 15 K and, and over a couple of years, they end up being a, they end up being a big champion, right? Right, so right. It's often that person who's willing to go hard enough to blow up that like I would put money on that, like, like a Lionel Sanders type, right? Like I would put money on, you know, 90% of the time I'd put money on an athlete like that. And there's a reason because they're willing to go that hard. It's true. And, uh, and I gotta say, so like historically I've been just like a totally blow myself up person and I can do it fast, Sarah. I blew myself up one time in the first five minutes of the swim, made for a long, <laughs> long day. But like, because this year has been so bad, I like definitely been playing it a little too safe now. Cause I just like need, like, I didn't want to have anything else go badly. Mm-hmm. So now Sarah, Victoria coming up, I feel like I gotta, gotta just go for it now. Okay. There's yeah, one th- definitely a risk that I'm just gonna like completely okay, we're explode. Gonna, we're going to risk it all. Okay. Here's something that I, I often tell that I used to tell myself in training and racing and also tell my athletes is that there's always room. There's always time, especially in triathlon training because it's so long or triathlon race there's always time to blow up later right so like there's no like you blowing up in the first five minutes of the swim maybe not the smartest move (laughs) but (laughs) but there's always time like you can 
later in the run when you really have to dig in and you're like, I don't know, like I'm either going to collapse or make right. it to the finish line. Like that's when you want to be at that place. Right. right? You don't want to be there like even halfway through the bike, you know, no. you, you want to be a little bit more on kind of like 90% or something like that. Exactly. So I'm going to wait until the second lap at Victoria before I'm like, holy shit. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the finish. That's right. I'm going to, we're going to hear the explosion just in the finishing shoot. Okay, good. Just, good. That's what we're looking for. That is actually my goal, Sarah. Just so you know, I'm going to med tent myself. Okay. Check. None of you people can tell me to stop. My town, my crown. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching the top.